welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, friends. Good morning. Hi. Nice to see you all. My name's Micah. Um, welcome to Awaken, if you are new. A um, couple things before we jump in here that I want to just quickly announce. Um, one, we've got, I think I heard over 30 uh, Awaken folks between uh, West 7th and Awaken East running the, the marathon this morning for Team World Vision, which is way cool. Um, you should all know that Trevor, our, our student ministry um, leader, he's gunning for my time. Um, he wanted to beat me. I am a, I'm currently, at this point, I just got a live update. I don't know if you got, th- this app is awesome. It's like watching Uber cars, like following the, the marathon race. Uh, he ran the, he's at 13.1 miles in his average minute speed here, friends. Average mile is 743. That, that, will, that will be very, very close uh, to beating my time. So he would be the fastest pastor in the Twin Cities. So um, it, it, this is big. I, I don't even want to preach this sermon. I just want to watch that, the little app, you know, watch him running. Uh, but it's pretty cool that we've got so many folks out there doing that. So that's really, really good. The other thing is this. Um, Advent is coming up. Uh, it begins in November, last Sunday in, in November. And we do a series every year called the Advent Art Series. So if you've been around Awaken and you know about this, um, I'm looking for uh, artists and writers. We'll have one artist and one writer each Sunday in Advent to produce and create something related to themes around Advent. Um, we have a number of people signed up, but I'm still looking for folks, and I don't have everyone's email, and I don't know all of you, uh, or if you are interested in, in participating in that. So if you are, Micah at AwakenCommunity.com, you can connect with me there, and uh, we'll look forward to that. It's one of my favorite series every year, um, and I think people really enjoy it. So that's that. Sound good? Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 3. We're in a series called Eat This Book. It's basically the narrative lectionary, which is a, uh, uh, in a year's time, in a school year, we'll go from sort of the beginning to the end of the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, picking out a few select passages along the way to get sort of the arc of the story of God in the scriptures. Um, this will keep us in touch with, with the church calendar, if you're familiar with that. It begins in Advent, it goes on through Christmastide and uh, Epiphany and Lent and Holy Week and Pentecost and some of those things, so it keeps us kind of connected to the season and the, and the church calendar, which is really cool. Um, and, uh, and, and Awaken East will be joining us as well as we get to Advent, so we'll be doing that together. So Exodus chapter 2, I'm going to read three kind of passages in this story about Moses. Uh, so if you have your Bible, stand if you can. We'll begin in chapter 2, verse 23, where we read this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, he called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. 
And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of, the people, of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, and so I came down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the, Isra- the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. This will be a sign, that, uh, a sign to you that it, it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go and I say to them, The God of my... Your father sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites I am has sent you. And starting in chapter 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. "Now Now put it back in your cloak, he said. And so Moses put his hand back in his cloak. When he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said, who, uh, the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is, is it not I, the Lord? Pray with me, if you will. God, this morning, as we <clears throat> gather and we hear this story, um, which is familiar to many of us, I pray that uh, it would be new and fresh. Uh, I pray that as we gather as your church, that uh, by your spirit you would be present and near, uh, that you would speak words of encouragement and hope, Uh, life to us about who you are and who we are and what you've called us to be. I pray in the strong name of Christ and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So we read three kind of separate parts of this story and uh, in this series so far we've looked at, uh, we started in the beginning in Genesis 1 and we looked at this idea of God, in the beginning God created, that As much as people say about God and the nature of God, not many people stop there, which is the first thing we hear about the nature of God. In the beginning, God created. That God is a creative force, a creative being. And we're made in the image of this God. So the question we asked is, what are you making? Our lives are a series of interactions of creativity where we respond to something. Something wasn't and then it was, or it, it, it wasn't and now it is. This is our life. And so the question is, what are you making? Uh, Last week, we looked at the story of Jacob, who flees from his brother. He steals his birthright and then leaves, and he finds himself, uh, has a dream, and he wakes up, and he sees that God is in this place, and he was not aware of it. Um, 
This morning we're going to look at this passage, a, a, a familiar one, a famous one, um, where Moses in, is encountered by God at a burning bush. And there are these kind of three parts to this story, and I've preached actually three different messages on each one of these, but never sort of woven them together like I want to do today. And I have to be honest with you, uh, this last week has been, um, somebody asked me earlier, they said, how's the last week been? And I said, well, you know, I'm here. It was one of those weeks, uh, a difficult one on a number of levels. There's a lot going on below the waterline of my life, so to speak. Um, and sometimes you read a passage of Scripture and, and you come to it. And then sometimes a passage of Scripture sort of comes to you and it finds you and reads you. Uh, and that has um, been the case for this one. Um, this passage has kind of been working on me this week. And so I want to offer a few observations about the text and about my experience this past week in hopes that it would be an encouragement to you. So let's begin with this first part. At the end of chapter 2, and a little bit of the backstory, uh, if you are not familiar with this, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. There was a great musical, The Technicolor Dreamcoat. You've probably heard about this. He's sold into slavery by his brothers. He ends up in Egypt, and then there's a famine in the land, and so his father and all of his brothers and his family make their way to Egypt and actually find refuge in Joseph and in Egypt. Uh, <clears throat> the book of Exodus opens and it has basically all of Joseph's family and his father uh, dying and a, a whole new generation of people uh, and a Pharaoh that knows not Joseph, the text says. They uh, become great in number, which means they have lots of children, and uh, they become slaves in Egypt. Moses is born and he flees Egypt because he kills an Egyptian. He marries the daughter of the priest of Midian. He has a son, and he becomes a shepherd. And then we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2, where we get verses 23 and 20 through 25, the first part that we read. And arguably, one of the more important moments in Scripture, because I would argue that the character, part of the character and the nature of God is revealed in chapter, 23, or chapter 2 at the end there, right before we get to the beginning of the Exodus story. Now, actually, a lot of people believe that the Bible kind of begins with the Exodus. That Genesis is really like a prologue or, or a preliminary sort of commentary, but the, the, the work of God, the action of God, the redemptive movement of God begins with the story of the Exodus. And so at this hinge point where we have the, the Israelites in Egypt being oppressed and enslaved and then the call of Moses, we get this brief little bit at the end of chapter 2 where we learn a lot about who God is. So if you would, I'd love for you to just uh, uh, amuse me or participate, go along with me, if you will. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and participate in this little activity with me. So if you're comfortable with that, just go ahead and close your eyes. If you would, take a couple of deep breaths. And I would love for you to engage your imagination. So I want you to try to access uh, images, pictures, uh, visualize your response to this question that I'm going to ask. And I want you to access your past, uh, whatever experience you've had or heard on this subject, both good and bad, and respond to this one question. The question is this. What do you think God is like? Whatever you bring in the room, what do you imagine God to be like? What picture do you see? What image do you have? 
Go ahead and open your eyes. Every church is particular. It's distinct. Um, It takes on a certain character or DNA and therefore attracts certain kinds of people. Uh, And that's actually to be celebrated. I think this is something that that I'm grateful for. Um, This is why so many of you, when I meet you at Discover Awaken or some other uh, Awaken-related activity, you tell me things like, I looked for, or we looked for a church for a month, two months, six months, 12 months. We, we couldn't find a church, and then finally when we came here, something clicked. Many of you say we felt like we came home. Uh, one of the things that I know about this church, and many of you here this morning, is that many of you come from places and communities and experiences with God that carry a fair amount of trauma. Um, maybe it didn't go very well. And you've made your way here, and many of you have said, this was my last stop. If, it, if, this, if this didn't work out, like, I, I was done. I was given up. I had given up on God or church or religion. And yet, here you are. Some of you are just kind of hanging on by a thread. Some of you are here because your spouse is here. And actually, I, I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. I'm glad for that. I actually celebrate that, that this community has figured out a way to hold the tension that's in the room of questions or doubt or wonderings or um, unbelief or making your way back to belief or supporting someone that you love because spiritual community and faith is important to them. That takes a lot of maturity. And I'm actually really glad for it. Now, why do I say, why do I say this? Uh, in the story of the Exodus, before Moses, and Mo- when Moses finds himself at the burning bush, It begins with the writer telling us something very important about God. So whatever ideas or beliefs or pictures or images you bring into the room this morning, whether they're good or bad, if they're less than beautiful, what if God is like this? These four words that we hear that the writer of Exodus describes to us. What if God is at least as beautiful as this? And we hear these four words. The first is Shema. God hears the cry of the Israelites. The word Shema in Hebrew means to perceive by ear, to hear, or, to hear of or concerning, to hear with attention or interest, to listen, to understand. The most important and maybe the most complete narrative that we have in the Bible, the Exodus, begins with the people of God crying out to God and God hears them. Have you ever been lost, like wandering around in the dark before, wandering around in the wilderness, uh, wandering around in the woods? I can think of a number of times when I was a kid where the sun had gone down and we were out wandering around in the neighborhood and, you're, and you have that like, moment where you wonder, like, can I get home? Do I know where I am? Or maybe you've actually been out in the woods and you got lost. I, I was a kid and my dad got us lost in Canada in a boat. We're out fishing, and all of a sudden, you know, my dad's looking at these maps, and we're kind of just floating along, bobbing like a bobber. And my brothers and I look at each other, and we look at my dad, and he says, I think we're lost, guys. (laughs) Which is not a very good thing to hear from your father in a boat in the middle of Canada. I think somebody wandered. We finally found another human being out there, and he showed us where we were on the map. But, like, have you ever been lost where you weren't sure if you were going to make it home? You didn't know where you were. or And you cry out in those moments. right? Like as a kid, if you're out there in the, in the night, and you cry out, help, help! 
Like, what if that cry goes completely unheard? Like, that sinking feeling in your stomach of hopelessness and this is not going well, or this may not end well. The writer of Exodus wants us to know that this God, Yahweh, hears the cry of the people in slavery. And so what would it mean to you this morning if you knew that the nature of God is one of attentiveness? The nature of God is one who is leaning in, waiting to hear those moments in our lives when we cry out, when we say, help. What if your cry for help didn't travel through the night unheard, but reached the ears of God? So God hears, and then God remembers, the text says. God remembered the people. He remembered the promises that he made, that he would bring them out of slavery and into a land flowing with milk and honey. And when we think about memory, or when we think about remembering, we immediately go to memory, which of course is true, right? God says these things about the future and the hope of Israel and this promised land, and they were in slavery, and God remembered them. And we love to be remembered, right? Like when you, when you meet somebody or you're having a conversation with somebody and they remember something that you said, that feeling that you get that you mattered and that you were heard, something that you spoke that meant something to you was remembered by someone else. Like there's a connection there. You're not alone. You're cared for. You're pursued. It's a, it's a feeling of, of validation. But if you break down this word, like to remember something... To remember is to bring back all the pieces. And I wonder if this image of... What would it mean this morning if you knew that it was in God's heart to gather up all the broken and scattered parts of your life and to remember them into a whole? That the, the kind of God that's being described is a God who takes the broken pieces and the scattered pieces of our lives and wants to bring them back together and remember them. And make them whole again. To make something beautiful. So God hears, God remembers, and God sees. To look at, to see, regard, look after, see after, learn about, observe, watch, look upon, look out, find out, consider, give attention to, discern, distinguish. These are all possibilities when you use the word ra'ah in Hebrew. It's a fascinating language. But God hears, remembers, and then it says that God sees, God saw the Israelites. Have you ever been overlooked before in your life? Like where you were in a social setting and you were just overlooked, missed, ignored. And like that feeling of not being seen. I remember in sixth grade, uh, we had to do a, a um, like a, a report, like my first big report, you know, like six pages or something like that. And I said, oh my gosh, six pages, what am I going to write in six pages? And we had to pick a country and do a, a research project on it. You know? So I picked Sweden because my, my great-grandma is from Sweden. And I wrote this report and it was blue and it had Sweden on the front. And you had talked about, you know, the, the topography and their ex exports and how they made money and their culture and all that. And then a bunch of kids in my sixth grade class decided that they would steal my report and hide it. This is awful feeling of like this work that I had put so much effort and energy into just being erased and like not found and hidden by these kids in my class, like overlooked, not seen. 
What would it mean to you this morning if you knew that the heart and the character of God is one who sees? Not one that misses or ignores, but sees you right here, right now, in this moment. Whatever you brought here this morning, what if you knew that God, the maker of heaven and earth, like sees you today? What would change? God hears, remembers, sees, and then this last one is quite intimate. Yada, to know, learn, to know, perceive, and see, find out, and discern, to discriminate, distinguish, to know by experience, to recognize, admit, acknowledge, confess, to consider. God hears, remembers, sees, and knows. You're not anonymous. You're not a number. God knows, and actually one of the first usages of this word in the scriptures Adam knew his wife, Eve, and they conceived, and she became pregnant. What does it mean to say that God knows intimately like a lover knows their partner? How we answer this question, what is God like? It shapes us, it forms us, it changes us. And so I want to begin this morning by offering what the scriptures offer in this story of Exodus. That this God is one who hears and remembers, and sees, and knows the cry of his people. And if that's true about God and his relationship with Israel, then I would argue it's true about God and his relationship with any and all that God made and created, including you and me. And so we begin there this morning, that the character of God is revealed. And what if, like what if, I mean this is a gamble, right? Because none of us can really actually know with certainty, that's why it's called faith, but what if God is that good? What if God is that beautiful? What if God is that compelling and that intimate and that wonderful that here this morning you are seen and heard and remembered? You are not forgotten. You are, you are valued and loved and beloved. You belong. God knows you. What if we begin there? Does that change anything? And then we get the name of God that's revealed. Moses asks God, what should I tell them or who should I tell them sent me? Right? Like, okay, I'm, okay fine. I'm, I'm getting my hands around this idea of going to this, the most powerful person on the planet and telling him, let all these people go. But in the event that they ask me who sent me, who should I tell them sent me? That's a great question. And what we get is fascinating. Ehye asher ehye. I will be what I will be is mo- arguably the best translation. Many of your translations say, I am that I am. But arguably, the better translation is, I will be what I will be. It's a verb in the imperfect tense, or you could say the present continuous. So in Hebrew, this form of the verb, when the action is not completed, it actually contains or holds somehow the past, the present, and the future. So when God gives God's name to Moses... It's not, hi, I'm Bob. It's a verb in the present continuous form, which includes the past, the present, and the future. I will be what I will be. I love is, right? I love things that are. Uh, When something has isness, like I find great comfort in it because it's real, it's true. I can taste it, touch it, smell it. Like I can trust it. I love things in the present, and I certainly love things in the past, like things that were right? Because there's no ambiguity. There's certainty about that happened. That's real. I know that. Even if it wasn't 
even if it's, even if it's not all life-giving or good, I, I, there's a degree of comfort in the things that, are, or that were, right, in the past. But when God tells Moses the name of God's very essence and being, what is not the focus is the past and the present, but arguably the always more nature of God. I will be what I will be. The ever unfolding and movemental, I'm making up a word this morning, movemental nature of God. So like our knowing and experience of God, one could argue that there's always more, it's always expanding, it's growing. What does it mean to say that our knowing of God includes the present and the past, but is focused on and pointing us towards and always inviting us into the infinite relational possibility that is the knowledge and experience of God? Maybe this is why there's to be no graven images of God, because you can't capture movement and future and possibility. Maybe this is why Peter wants to build a house on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus and Elijah and Moses show up, because we want to capture what is so that we know it. Maybe this is why Jesus says to Mary, woman, don't hold on to me. Because while I will be what I will be, there's always more, and you're being invited into it. And so while it includes the past and now, you can't get stuck, you can't stop, you have to keep going, you haven't arrived, there's always more. So I, uh, I have a spiritual director that I've been seeing lately, and I went and saw this person this last week, and um, I'm really, uh, a really beautiful relationship is, is budding and forming um, with my spiritual director. And we were talking about, I have this very keen sense that I'm, uh, I'm 40 now, and, um, and like, there is a season in front of me that I feel God inviting me into, and I don't know what it will require, and I don't know what it looks like, and there's, there's this sort of unknown quality to it. And what I want to do is go back. What I want to do is hang on to all of these Ways in which I've related to God, and actually when I, when I do this imaginative prayer thing, which I kind of invited you to, there's a place that I go to, and where I meet with God, and I had this really scary moment where, like, what if God is inviting me beyond that? What if there's a new place in my mind where I would go and meet with God? And honestly, I just started weeping. Because I love what is and what was. And I take great comfort in relating to God in this particular way. And in, in this moment this week, and as I've, this passage worked on me, I will be what I will be. Which, this is who God is. This is what God is inviting us into. This is the, the, the ever-unfolding, infinite relational possibility that is God. And so wherever you stand now, in your knowledge and experience of God, one could argue that there's, there's always more. It's always deeper. It's further and into the mystery in the nature of God. Which I don't know about you, but if I'm being totally honest, is a little scary and a little unnerving and a little alarming. It's like, can't we just, like, I'd like to just settle here for a bit. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I've got some things figured out and I've learned a few things and I'm good. Like, let's just call it good. We'll settle. Saddle, saddle, saddle. One could argue that that's the beginning of dying. When you settle and you're like, nope, we're good. Living is moving. Being alive is what unfolds and what is in front of you. That's, that's life. And this is the tension. Who 
should I say sent me? And God says, I will be what I will be. And this is the invitation to relate to, to experience, to move with, to enter into this God who's not in graven images, who's not in windows, who's not in altars, who's not in worship songs or religious forms, but is present and moving and alive. Let me close this morning by looking at a number of responses that we see in this story from Moses. So we see the beautiful, this unbelievable, breathtaking picture of who God is, that God is one who sees and hears and remembers and knows us, and God says, I will be what I will be. Come on, I'm inviting you, let's go. And it is always moving, always moving. And Moses' response is, who am I? Right? One of his first responses, who am I that you should send me? Which is a question of doubt about one's capacity and power. And it actually goes all the way back to the beginning of the story when, God, when the serpent says to Adam and Eve, did God really say? Who am I is a question of doubt. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Can't you find someone more powerful, someone more influential, more capable than little old me? Who am I? Another response Moses gives is, what if? Like, what if, fill in the blank, right? Moses rebuts God's invitation to go get the people with a question of the un- about the uncertainty of the future, what may or may not happen. What if they don't listen or what if they don't believe me? How many things in your life have not happened because of what if? What if I fall? What if I get hurt? What if this relationship doesn't work out? What if I don't make enough money? What if the job doesn't work out? What if the deal doesn't go down? What if that person doesn't respond? What if I put myself out there and I hear nothing? What if, what if, what if? Or just straightforward, I am not. Moses' third response. It's what moves from passivity to like activity. I am not. I'm slow, slow to speak. I don't speak well. I'm not a good. He flat out tells God that he's not the right man for the job. I'm curious what your excuses are this morning. What are the, what are the I am nots? Whatever invitation you might sense in your own life of God inviting you to, can you name them? I am not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm not intelligent enough, I'm not articulate enough. I am not. A number of responses in this interaction between God and Moses. What if, who am I, I am not. And then one that I want to leave you with. And it's one we've talked about many times at Awaken. It's the first one that Moses gives when he shows up at the bush. And it's Hineni, here am I, or here I am. And Hineni has this sense of like naked and unashamed, there's, I can't hide, here I am. Which arguably is the beginning of the journey of the spiritual life. The first question God asks Adam and Eve in the scriptures, where are you? And one could argue that the spiritual life begins when we answer that question, where are you? So this morning as we look at this passage, this interaction between God and Moses, and we see God's character revealed, and we hear this invitation to respond to and relate to this God who's movement and action and unfolding and becoming, 
The question is, what do you say? What is your response? What if I'm not, or who am I, or Hineni? And so, my friends, I leave you with a question. What are you going to say? What do you say to a God who comes and says, I see you, I hear you, I remember you, I know you, I love you, I want you? Come, follow me, enter in. What do you say? Pray with me, if you will. God, as we consider the nature of your character, and as we take a few moments to think about what you're really like, I pray that anything that I've said that isn't true or right or accurate would just be forgotten, and who you are in the real would meet us, would find us. So in these next few moments of silence, God, would you speak the still small voice of your spirit, and may we have ears to hear what you might be inviting us to. My friends, my brothers and sisters, we stand in a river that has come long before us and that will go long beyond us, of people who have clung to the hope that God is at least this good, one who sees and hears and knows and remembers us and invites us into relationship. And so wherever you've come from this morning, if you just needed to be encouraged, if you needed to be reminded, if you needed to be offered a bit of hope, uh, I hope that you've found it. I hope that you've experienced it this morning. So, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.